0: Hello, friends. This is Pastor Tim Reynolds with Bible Truth for Living. Thank you so much for listening today. Before the message, I would like to remind you about an event we have coming up this Saturday, October the 28th, at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. It is our annual Special Needs Superhero Saturday. The time is from 4 to 6.30 p.m., and there's going to be all kinds of great activities for our friends with special needs. If you have a a child or a teenager or adult with special needs, this event is for them. Everything is free. We're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs and snow cones and horseback riding and hay rides and s'mores and uh, a clown uh, tying balloons. Uh, Just a lot of different things we have going on and it's all absolutely free and we encourage you to uh, tell folks about it. It's at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. We are located at 817 Woodland Drive here in Mount Vernon. It's on Route 37 South. And it will be outside uh, on our parking lot and in our front yard. Just a lot of great activities. This is our fourth year of hosting this event. And uh, we hope you can come out and be a part of it. If you say, hey, I'd like to come and volunteer or take part, Uh, Come on out, all right? We'll have a a place for you to help serve, and I guarantee you, you will come intending to be a blessing, but you'll leave having been blessed. And so we encourage you to come and be a part of that this Saturday, our Superhero Special Needs Saturday, 4 to 6.30 p.m. at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. Today's message is part one. I've titled Snake Eggs and Spider Webs." We're reading from Isaiah chapter 59. And verse 1, the Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness." None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Here's where we get the, the, uh, the title. They hatch cockatrice eggs. A cockatrice is a poisonous snake, a viper, and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. You know, as we head into another election season, we begin to have the debates and the politicians begin to promise that they will address certain conditions in the nation, They'll talk about the economic condition of the nation, the educational condition, the social condition, and many other areas. However, when God addresses the conditions of a nation, he doesn't begin with the economy or the education or even the social condition. He always begins with the spiritual condition of a nation. Now, why is that? Well, that is because the spiritual condition is what drives the economic, the educational, and social condition of every nation. It all stems from the spiritual conditions of the people and of a nation. Now, in Isaiah 59, in this text, God is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah. He is addressing the spiritual condition of the nation of Judah, and boy, things are not good. He says in verse 2, sin has separated you from God. In verse 3, he says, you have blood on your hands and lies on your lips. Well, we see that in America today. I believe that a sin has separated America from God. We're no longer the the, uh, God-fearing nation that we were uh, before. We certainly have blood on our hands with uh, 60 million babies being legally aborted. Uh, Lies on our lips. It's hard to know where to find truth today, whether it's in the realm of uh, media or academia. Sad to say, even behind some pulpits today. Verse 4, he says, justice and truth. Are nowhere to be found. And then when you get to verse 5, he is speaking of the political and religious leaders of the day. He says they are snakes feeding their poisonous eggs to the people who are not uh, paying attention to what the Bible has to say. And those who do try to oppose them or try to crush the eggs, and they fight a losing battle because crushing their eggs just leads to more vipers being produced. It's almost like trying to stamp out a fire in one area and another flame pops up somewhere else. And that's the problem that was taking place in Judah. He says again in verse 5 that they weave spiders' webs. And in verse 6 he says their webs are a feeble attempt to cover up their sin much like trying to make clothing out of a spider's web. You know, you would not have much success at that if you tried to make a shirt or a pair of pants out of a spider's web. You can't do that. And he said the people are trying to use the web and try to deceive God into saying, well, our works are good, and that will cover us up. And God says, no, those webs are just webs of iniquity. Now, today what I want to do is I want to focus ...on the spiders' webs. We're going to look at the characteristics of webs, and then we're going to look at two of the classifications of webs... ...a third one next week, and then how we can clear these webs. Let's first begin with the characteristics of spider webs. First, I want to read from Job chapter 8 and verse 13. The Bible says, "...so are the paths of all that forget God, and the hypocrite's hope shall perish." whose hope shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a spider's web. Sir Walter Scott is known for the famous quote, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. What are some characteristics of webs? Well, I think there are several, but I'm going to share five of them with you. Number one, and I want you to think not only in the physical realm, but we're going to attach this to the spiritual realm. Number one, webs are attractive but deadly. Spiderwebs are very intricately designed. They're fascinating to watch. If you've never seen a spider build a web, uh, you can even go on YouTube and see a time lapse of that. And they're very beautiful, really. I mean, I'm not talking about cobwebs up in the corner of a house, but just the way they are designed. Uh, If you ever see a a spider web, maybe with the sun glistening off of it with maybe some dew on it, and yet that attractive web, that intricately designed web, is intended to kill Catch and kill its prey. Now, Satan works much the same way. Satan builds attractive webs that look good, only to find out too late that the web is deadly. It brings nothing but death. And then, number two, webs catch living things in order to drain their life away. Again, uh, if you have never watched this, you, uh, or maybe you have before, a fly will fly into a web. And boy, at first it will fight and flail and try to get out of that web until it finally wears itself down. And the spider waits patiently until it can come up to that fly that has calmed down. And the spider injects its venom and paralyzes it and then finally begins to slowly drain the life away from that insect. Again, that's how Satan works. You know, we've heard the term before, well, someone fell into sin. Very rarely do we fall into sin. It's usually a process. And Satan works that way. He's very patient. And Satan will move slow and methodically. And all the time, he's looking to drain the life away out of your testimony, out of your joy, and out of your life. Number three, webs are often difficult to see until it's too late. Have you ever walked into a web? Uh, a few weeks ago, I was mowing my yard and I drove face first into a web that I did not see. And the entire time I finished mowing my yard, I could feel that. I, I thought I had webs on my, the back of my neck and a I felt like, man, there's a spider crawling on me somewhere. You know, it's just, you keep pulling at the web and, and it was hard to see though. I mean, it was just there and that's what happens. That's how Satan works. Again, oftentimes you don't realize you're caught in his web until it's too late and you're stuck. And so webs are often difficult to see until it's too late. Number four, webs are built where the bugs are. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it, where the bugs are? I mean, that's where the bugs are most vulnerable, and that's where a a spider will build its web. It's kind of like professional bank robber Willie Sutton back in the day. He was asked why he robbed banks, and Willie Sutton said, Well, I rob banks because that's where the money is. Well, that same thing concerns spiders. You know, they build webs where the the bugs are. You'll find webs by porch lights because insects like lights, and that's where a spider will build its web. It will do that in trees and tall grass. That's how they work. Well, again, Satan does the same thing. Satan will, will put webs in places where he knows he can entrap us and entangle us, and if we're not careful, we'll get caught in that web. And then, number five, webs can be rebuilt overnight. You know, you can destroy a spider web and there will be another in its place the very next day. We have to be vigilant when it comes to the webs of Satan. He doesn't quit. He's been at this a long time. I'm telling you, and I've been saved for a long time and been in the ministry, well, basically all of my life. And I can tell you that Satan still goes after me. He'll go after you. You never reach a place of spiritual oh, elitism where Satan doesn't try to get you, where he just, well, I'm not going to try to tempt or give uh, any trouble because that person, uh, you know, they've been saved so long, or, well, they went to church Sunday, so I won't bother them. No, it doesn't work that way. He He's constantly seeking whom he made of our, the Bible says. Now, I want you to keep those five characteristics of webs in mind as we now move to the classifications of webs. I believe there are three classifications of webs that we can get entangled in if we're not careful. We're going to look at two of them today, and then the third one the next time we're together. The first web that I believe uh, we can get entangled in, I'm calling the web of philosophies, the web of philosophies. Paul warns the church in the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8 about philosophies. Watching out for this. Here's what he says. The first word of, this, uh, of the verse is beware. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, in vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, when we talk about philosophies, philosophies deal with our thoughts. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, today there are many philosophies and ideas and opinions that are offered up by the world that can entangle our thoughts. Many of them are what we call isms, I-S-M-S. I want to share some isms with you today that I believe are prominent philosophies in our world. The first one is atheism. What is atheism? Atheism says there is no God. Now, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But the world says, and sometimes this comes from academia and others, there is no God. By the way, that is what is behind the theory of evolution. Evolution teaches children that they are just the product of chance. Over billions of years, you've evolved from a lower species and survival of the fittest, and here you are. And what it does is it attempts to eliminate God. Why? So that man is not accountable to God. That's all atheism is. Atheism says, well, there is no God. The second philosophy is humanism. What is humanism? Humanism says, I am my own God. I will take care of my own decisions. I'll sail my own ship. I'll lead my own life. It's my body. I'll do with it what I want to. That's what the abortion agenda is about. The abortion agenda really stems from humanism that says, I am my own God, this is my body, I'll do with it what I want to. Same thing in regards to the transgender movement. Uh, Instead of God saying there's just male and female, I'll determine that, I am my own God. That's rooted in humanism. Number three, materialism. Materialism says that my money or my stuff is my God. Now, some people who wouldn't dare think about bending the knee and praying to a little statue, they won't worship that, but I guarantee you they're worshiping something if it's not God. An idol is anything that we place over God. For example, if on Sunday morning, the first thought you have is get my boat and head to the lake instead of to the house of God, that boat is your God. That's your material. I've seen it time and time again, a boat, a a side-by-side, a house, a, a car, and all these things. And money becomes the God because it's placed in front of God. And God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So you don't have to just bend the knee and pray to something for it to be a God. Anything we place ahead of God in priorities in our life becomes a God. And so I think that's especially true in America today, materialism the uh, the fact of money or stuff being God. Number four, moralism or moral relativism says morality is my God. Here's the problem with that. Morality then has no foundation if the Bible is excluded and God is excluded. In other words, how do you know you're moral? Well, I'm moral because this is how I feel about it. You see, that's the thing today based on feelings. And so now we have my truth and your truth and his truth and her truth. No, there's only one truth. That is absolute truth. And by the way, that's Jesus because he said, I am the way, the truth. All right. But today it's, well, whatever you think your truth is. And so now, you know, the Bible speaks of truth has fallen in the street. That's how it is today. Think about it. You have a hard time knowing where to get truth today. Do we get it from uh, the, uh, do we get it from politics? Do we get it from the media? Do we get it from the, university where where do we find truth well it's missing today and so that's the problem with uh with moralism now the last one number 5 is occultism occultism says satan is my god now here again a lot of people would say well i you know i don't pray to satan he's not my god well do you rely on your horoscope to determine your day or your week or your your month You know, I know people who will go and they'll check their horoscope before they do anything in the morning to see what the position of the stars says. That's astrology. Things like fortune tellers and tarot cards and horoscopes and Ouija boards, they are of Satan. Don't mess with them. You're messing with the occult. And let me tell you something else. Satan does not know the future. He can't tell the future. If he did, he would know the end of the book. And the end of my book, the Bible says, that God wins all right so he he doesn't even uh, he doesn't even believe that so these are the five isms really that are prominent on our world today most of the isms of the world are grounded in the philosophies of men pantheism socialism marxism communism on and on i'm like the preacher who said i'm looking forward to the day when all the isms become wasms and that's going to happen when jesus returns to this earth man's philosophies are a tangled web of confusion that will poison your mind. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in Second Peter 2 and verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein. They're caught in a web and overcome so that the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. This is referring to false teachers who lead others astray. Notice it's talking about those who have a knowledge of Christ. They've been shown the way. They have a knowledge of Christ, but their Reformation has been without regeneration. It isn't that they lost their salvation. They are apostates who were never saved in the first place and are led away by false teachers. Well, he puts it this way in verse 22, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit. Now, I know if you're listening by radio, it's early in the morning, that sounds Sounds kind of gross, but dogs will do that, all right? And he says, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You take a sow and you can give her a bubble bath and put a bow on her and she'll go right back out and get in the mud. Why? Because that's the nature of the sow. The same thing applies to those who get wrapped up in the philosophies of the world. The second web that I want to cover quickly is the web of proclamations. These web of proclamations we often weave ourselves. Now, philosophies deal with our thoughts. Proclamations deal with our tongues. Now, I'm going to share some practical things here with you regarding our tongue, and I want to read, first of all, from James 3, verses 3 through 10. James writes, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, and it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Well, that's pretty strong. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith, with the tongue, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be." Now, the tongue is something that we all have problems with, all right? Just because you're saved and on your way to heaven doesn't mean that uh, you don't need to take this to heart. This is something that we all must deal with. In fact, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and these verses are written not to unbelievers, but to church people, to Christian people, all right? I'm going to give you four areas that we need to be careful of getting caught up in with our tongues. Number one, The area of lying. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Proverbs 12, verse 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. You've heard the phrase, caught in a web of lies you know, we must be careful about that. Let me ask you, are you honest in your words and your dealings? Do you do you pay your bills? If you owe somebody something, if you tell somebody, do you follow up with your word? Or are you untrustworthy? Listen, just because you're saved and on your way to heaven doesn't necessarily mean you have character. Character means you tell the truth. You keep your word. You If, if you owe somebody money, you, you pay them pay him, uh, on time. Or if you can't, you let them know, hey, I'm going to take care of this. Otherwise, that's just a lie as much as any. Anything else. And uh, we need to be aware of that. And we ought to be truthful people. All right. Our word should be our bond. Number two, in the area of anger, verse 26, be ye angry and sin not. There is an anger we can have without sinning. You know, especially when it comes to righteous anger. It ought to make us angry to think of all those innocent babies who have been murdered in the womb. It ought to make us angry when we see our nation uh, running the opposite direction of God. That ought to make us angry. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. That means we're not to let anger get the best of us. Proverbs 15 and verse 1. Says a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You know, words uttered in anger can cause permanent damage to relationships. That can happen with a husband and wife, get in a shouting match and say something in the heat of the moment. And, you know, you want to get forgiveness later on, but it will never be forgotten what was said. That can happen on the job. It can happen with your children. You know, one moment of anger at a bad report card and you say you're never going to amount to anything or why can't you get good grades. A child can take that and live with it their entire life. We've got to be careful about that. It can even happen in church. And sometimes it's even innocent. But we must watch that and be careful. It's not only important what we say, but how we say it. That's why it says a soft answer. That's not only speaking of what we say, but it's the tone and the temperament in which we say things. I must continue. Number three, in the area of cursing, Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What is corrupt communication? Those are words that are not pleasant. They're not pleasing to God. Proverbs 15 verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. You know, I know grown men who think cursing makes them sound tough or, uh, you know, sometimes a young person will will use curse words because it sounds hip or something. It doesn't sound tough. It doesn't sound hip. It doesn't sound cool. It makes you sound foolish and like you have a limited vocabulary, like you have nothing better to say but curse words. I mean, you know, it's time maybe to grow up and get out of that. Quit using those words. That's just words that are corrupt. Our communication should not be corrupt. The rest of that verse says, that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, encouraging. That uh, is the kind of words that we should speak. And then number four, and probably the most deadly of them all, is in the area of gossip and talebearing. The Bible says in Proverbs 26 and verse 20, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer. The strife ceases. You take a troublemaker out of a job or out of a church, out of a, a school setting, that one gossip or tailbearer, you remove them, everything begins to just calm down. That's, that's the point here. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. You know people, and so do I, that just want to stir up things. They want to stir up trouble. You see, oh no, here they come. They're going to stir up trouble. They do it, you know, they may jump from church to church and they try to start trouble in churches they'll do it in their homes they'll do it at work that's uh, just the kind of nature that they have the words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down to the innermost parts of the belly burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross he that hateth dissembleth or tears apart with his lips and layeth up deceit within him when he speaketh fair believe him not for there are seven abominations in his heart. You know, a gossip, a tail bear, when they begin to sweet talk you, don't take him uh, for uh, face value because they probably have an agenda. They may say something like this. I'm going to tell you something, but don't let anybody know it came from me. Those are fair words that are really looking to stir up trouble. I would advise you get away from them as fast as you can. Don't repeat anything they say because all it is is just trying to stir up trouble. Now, today we've looked at the webs of philosophies and we've looked at the web of proclamations. Next week, we're going to look at the web of practices and some other things to go along with that. And then we're going to speak about clearing out the webs that we get entangled in. So I hope you can tune in then. Thank you so much for being a part of the Bible Truth for Living program. I look forward to being with you again next time. And until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you, is my prayer.